The following presentation is brought to you by the Mutual Network. Better living through audio. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. This is Project Audion. Timeless audio dramas for modern times. Created the classic way. Hello, I'm Larry Groby at the Generic Radio Workshop. Lust, murder, conspiracy, sensational courtroom cases. These aren't new things. They've always been with us. In fact, they're so common that the much talked about old trial of a century is usually replaced by another every decade or so. Which is too bad because the lurid stories from the past are just as engaging as last year's sensations. Or maybe it's good because that means they're ripe for rediscovery. I take, for instance, a shocking case that occurred almost 250 years ago the crime of Bathsheba Spooner. She was sent to the gallows in 1778 for murdering her husband. She was the first woman to be executed in the United States. Ah, but let me first introduce you to Scott McKinley, who ran across this story in the 1953 radio show that dramatized it, and the author who has written a new book about it. Joining us tonight is Andrew Noon. He's a、uh, historian and an author, and he's the author of Bathsheba Spooner, a revolutionary murder conspiracy. Uh, regarding the Bathsheba Spooner murder case that we're doing tonight on Project Audion, tell us a little bit about、um, very quickly getting into the book and a little bit of the background of the story that we're about to hear as a radio play、sure. uh, recreated. So、uh, the Bathsheba Spooner story has always been, always been kind of a back burner story in Worcester County.、Uh, it's the most famous murder to have taken place in the county. Uh, I, in '94, we moved across the street from where she is buried, bought a home,、uh, so that piqued my interest.、Uh, at that point, no book had been done.、Uh, a few years later, Deborah Navis published the first book, and、uh, and then a generation later, I wanted to,、um, I hope, hopefully, improve upon that. Tell more, mine more, while nonfiction more as a as a novel than hers. Hers is kind of a straight academic approach.、Um, so my, it was my curiosity to find out more that led me to begin writing it. And even today, everyone in your town knows about it. No, it's it. The name rings bells with a lot of people. That's about it. Not much else. I'd say a, a small percentage of the city knows the story. Not very many. But it was big news once. Oh, you! It's the, it was the biggest、uh, murder trial I'd say in the 18th century in America.、Uh, she's the first woman、um, accused of murder in the New the United States.、Uh, it was the largest mass hanging. In the 18th century, aside from、uh, Native Americans who were occasionally hung on mass,、uh, we have the first testimony we believe from an African American in the New United States.、Uh, it was the first capital case in the country. Those are some、uh, important things. It's odd that it got overlooked, but then again, it was in the middle of the Revolutionary War. Well, let's jump for a moment to 1953. Even as television was pushing audio-only dramas to the sidelines. Some of the finest names in radio created a new series on CBS called Crime Classics, which hopscotched through time to dramatize crimes like Mrs. Spooner's.、Uh, Elliot Lewis was the producer and director. 
Morton Fine and David Friedkin wrote the scripts, Bernard Herrmann wrote the music, and top West Coast actors were employed to voice the characters. Crime classics stuck eh, pretty close to the facts, but like any dramatic adaptation, they did have to condense and adapt. And so please stick around after the show because we'll bring back Andrew Noon to tell us of some shocking facts that got left out, even out of the original audition script that we're working from, which does include material that never aired. Our Zoom cast stretches from Toronto to LA and is ready to recreate this crime classic episode in real time. So let's turn the clock back to June 1953 and then dial it way back to 1778 as we uncover the crime of Bathsheba Spook. Good evening. This is Crime Classics. I'm Thomas Highland. Listen. The man in nondescript uniform dropping stones into that well is a mercenary soldier, more recently a deserter. He is testing the depth of the well, the only way he knows, since a length of rope is not immediately available, and more complicated machines are as yet undiscovered. This is the year 1778, and the deserter is named James Buchanan. Next to him is his friend, another deserter, whose name is William Brooks. These men are in the employ of Mrs. Bathsheba Spooner of Brookfield, Massachusetts, whose well it is. Mrs. Spooner will pay these men immediately after they deposit the body of her murdered husband. Right down there. And tonight, my report to you on the crime of Bathsheba Spooner, the first woman to be tried for murder in the United States. Crime Classics, a new series of true crime stories taken from the records and newspapers of every land from every time. Your host each week, Mr. Thomas Highland, connoisseur of crime, student of violence, and teller of murders. Now, once again, Thomas Highland. The place is Brookfield, Massachusetts, the year 1778. Scene, the home of Joshua and Bathsheba Spooner a large and respectable dwelling two stories in height, situated on the north side of the road from Brookfield to Worcester. In the front of it and nearly opposite on the south side of the road are stately elms and a well. And in the living room, there's this. What manner of woman are you, Bathsheba? There's, there's no content in you and, and no happiness. And what happiness have you given me? A life that dies quickly, cooking and sewing, and from you, drunken sleep. And you've not answered me. You would like to see me dead, would you not? Listen to me, Joshua. When you returned this morning from Worcester, my heart sank in me. I'd hoped you wouldn't come back. <laughs> that I would have an accident? That in some way I would be killed? Yes. That you would be free then? Yes. To walk the town, newly widowed, and with a, 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 a wandering eye? Yes. And you listen, shrew. I am your husband, and I am your lover, 
And that's the way things are! Oh, man! Oh, man! Yeah! been waiting. Bathsheba. Wait. No more waiting, Bathsheba. The time I was away from you, with your husband in Worcester. The thinking about you. And there will be more waiting. Until it's done. Until you kill him. I tried, but oh, I could not. He asked me a question, my husband did. What manner of woman are you, he asked. And now I wonder... What manner of woman am I to love such as you? A youth, a boy who pretends to manhood. You, without the courage The poison to... you gave, there was no opportunity, Bathsheba. And a boy who lies. Opportunity. When it becomes nighttime, my husband becomes a drunkard. You know that. To empty the poison in the cup when you were with him. A simple thing like that you I couldn't do. I swear it to you, Bathsheba. He'll die. When? Go to him now, to the tavern where he is, and empty the poison. I threw the poison away. With no courage. Bathsheba. Speak my name and bedevil yourself with it. Oh, just kiss me, Bathsheba. No. No kisses. No secret whisperings. None of that. No more. Until my husband is dead. <laughs> Laugh then, but you'll see I mean it. There's a wench, Bathsheba, uh, at the other end of town. And she watches me when I walk by. Then go to her. All right. Wait! Don't leave me. You almost let me go. Oh, boy. Boy. Oh. Youth. Bathsheba. Kill him. Kill my husband. Later. And that was Bathsheba Spooner. You've come to know her pretty well. And you've seen her hating, and you've seen her loving. There's more you should know. She was the sixth child of an illustrious man, General Ruggles. The general was a man of great wealth and lived in a style of unusual luxury for that day. He kept 30 horses and had a park of 20 acres for deer and a pack of hounds for the amusement of numerous visitors. He was a man intensely loyal to the British crown and never hid his loyalties. And so, at the outbreak of the Revolutionary War, he was forced to give up his estate and to leave the country. His married life was also pretty bad, and he and his wife did not set a good example to his children in their conjugal relations. Bathsheba Strang from that kind of household. Her loyalist background in time of war and the very fact of the name she had, Bathsheba, were sufficient cause for the town in which she lived to view her with alarm. But keep this in mind. Bathsheba Spooner is going to murder her husband. How? 
Well, let's see how time and motive and circumstance conspire to get a man violently dead. The man, Joshua Spooner. Let's pick him up and see what he's doing. It's the same evening, and since it's after dark, he's drinking. And in Brookfield, there's only one public house in which to drink, Cooley's Tavern. And that's where he is. <laughs> no, 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 no. Doctor! <laughs> <laughs> then what would you do? That's <laughs> uh, uh, a trap, General Lurgoyne. Oh, a very simple. Hand me your, your tanker, Dr. King. <laughs> now. Uh, Oh, and here, here, this, this spoon. <laughs> the line of Marsha Burgoyne. <laughs> and your tanker, and mine. Two sections of the troops of General Washington. Now watch. <laughs> and that's how we take care of General Burgoyne. Yeah, yeah. Barkeep, Morial. Joshua Spooner talks of strategies and drinks his ale. But mark this, near the bar, another table. Two men, men in nondescript uniforms, deserters from the army of General Burgoyne. Their names, James Buchanan and William Brooks. They've made known the fact that they've deserted the enemy. So their drinks are on the house and the appreciative customers. They're having a fine time. Drink, drink your ale, Will. Make me a toast, and I'll drink with you. And a toast you shall get. Oh, a Burgoyne, he's a scurvy. Nice <laughs> louder, louder. We'll, also, we'll pay for our own ale. Come on. Aye, aye. <coughs> a toast. <laughs> a toast. Aye, aye, I'll give you a toast. To that scurvy, plump-bellied Burgoyne. May he rot in the wilderness. <laughs> ah, that is if he don't drown crossing the St. Lawrence. <laughs> Gentlemen. Ah, and a merry evening to you. <laughs> Joshua, Joshua Spooner is my name. And it would do me proud if you would permit uh, me uh, to... Ale is what we're drinking, sir. Oh. Ale for the Patriots! Uh -huh. uh, patriots we are! Uh, we joined General Washington, sir, and his colonials. Right. You should know that. Uh, from here, we go to Worcester, where a column of Washington's art is at... <laughs> Ale. Yeah. Uh, to you, sir. And thanks to you. My pleasure. Ah, safe health. Mm. Ah, oh, Willie lad, your tanker is dry. Oh, so is mine. Oh, if you will permit me, gentlemen, ah. it would be my pleasure. My pleasure, indeed. It would be Mr. Spooner's pleasure, indeed, to buy the lads more ale, as was the custom. True, it was 1778, but the etiquette was the same. Nothing too good for our boys. And the deserters in Cooley's bar were off to join our bars. As a matter of fact, it was Mr. Spooner's pleasure to direct James Buchanan and William Brooks to Worcester to become soldiers in Washington's army. It just happens that one of the landmarks that Mr. Spooner gave the lads went something like this. 
I'll, I'll mark you. A, a file of elms and a, a, a well. Oh, and across the road from it, my house. When you pass there, you will be leaving Brookfield. And you'll know you're on your way. Uh, will you have another L before you leave? <laughs> uh, gentlemen, if I ever met one. <laughs> oh, a true one, James, my lad. A real gent. <laughs> so they touched tankards, the deserters, and Joshua Spooner. And they made tearful farewell. And the deserters left and walked the road toward where the elms were and the house and a well. Let's go ahead of them. Let's get back to the lady. Bathsheba is home. Bathsheba is fixing her hair. And the youth, Ezra, he's tying into it night ribbons. A lover's tender gesture. Their talk, however, is shocking. Mm, perhaps you're right. Perhaps the best way is not to poison him. I say shoot him. Perhaps. In such a way as to make it appear it was an accident. Will you shoot him, Ezra? Oh, tightly with the ribbon, dear. Ezra? I, I have not the courage for it. But you know of guns and shooting. You were in the army for a year. I marched. I shot no one. I marched upon an ambush and was wounded. Myself, I never pulled a trigger. If not you to kill him, Ezra, then someone. Yes, turn from your mirror. Bathsheba, look at me. <laughs> listen, listen, do you hear? Um, yes, drunkards. Someone, go to the window. <laughs> drunkards, two of them by the moon, British deserters. I've seen them in town. Call to them. Bathsheba. Call to them. <laughs> Hello. You there. <laughs> what do you want? I'll talk to them. A lady wants to talk to you. Oh, a lady? Oh, at a lady service. Anytime. Let them in, Ezra. The Bathsheba Spooner who greeted the deserters must have been quite a sight. Tall, long hair and blue ribbons. There must have been a fire in the fireplace, and in all probability, she was standing in front of it. Her manner was gracious, and she was smiling. Ezra served the liquor. All in all, it was the nicest thing that could possibly have happened to two fellows who had deserted General Burgoyne. And now, gentlemen, a question. Oh, uh, we, we bow. Um, <coughs> Bow, bow, James, my lad. <coughs> Say on, my lady. How would you gentlemen like 500 pounds to see you on your long journey? <laughs> oh, it was warm the cockles. the <laughs> pounds, wouldn't it, Will? <laughs> you would. Does that answer you, my lady? And uh, what would you do for it? There is nothing that Will and I have not done. And for less pence of payment from less handsome women. <laughs> Oh, far less. <laughs> Kill my husband. Well, this lad, the one you call Ezra. Come here, lad. Don't take long about this thing. Not him. Not Ezra. Uh, uh, no, not, not, not him, James. Oh, oh then who? My yeah. husband will return from his drinking. Will you wait for him? Kill him? 
When he returns, meet him outside the door and uh, greet him, will you? Oh, not only for the money, dear lady, but for the pleasure of your presence to two tired soldiers. <laughs> right, James? Oh, it's the truth. Mm. <laughs> You'll be the uh, master of this house. Yes. Well, you are the two, I see. Yeah, that we be. Hard, James. Hard and quick. This one was a struggler, eh, Will? Aye. Get the woman. And the one she calls Ezra. Aye. Mrs. Bonner, come see. It's done. Tidy job, if I say so myself, Mrs. Bunner. And now he's dead. What will you do with him? There's a well across the road. Aye. Give us a hand, James. And you, Ezra. <clears throat> there. I'll walk with you. That's a deep well. Poor little man. And that's how Joshua Spooner died. And that's how Bathsheba Spooner killed him. You're listening to Crime Classics and your host, Thomas Highland. Like Old Man River, the comedy just keeps rolling along every Sunday night when CBS Radio presents Amos and Andy. Next Sunday night, over most of these same stations, the Kingfish is sure to be up to his usual monkey business. And it's sure to make a monkey out of gullible Andy Brown. Listen for yourself. Don't let one minute of the fun get away. Tomorrow and every Sunday night, it's CBS Radio's two and only Amos and Andy. And now, once again, Thomas Highland and the second act of Crime Classics, and his report to you on The Crime of Bathsheba Spooner. Listen to this. It's awful in dread, this tale that I tell. Joshua Spooner lies dead in a well in Brookfield Town in 78 from six stout wax across the pate. Small poem by an anonymous contributor to the Worcester Spy, the local newspaper of the day. A change of scene now, across the road from a cold well into a warm living room. Tableau, four people. Oh, Mr. Spooner was such an elegant man. Uh, what will become of his clothes in his closet? And his horse? You may have them. Come away from the window, Bathsheba. Here to me. Close. Oh, the stars are dancing. You're shivering. Are you cold? No. Will is very weary. Widow Spooner mm. will not go on to Worcester tonight. Then wait till... Then wait till morning. You can make a place for yourselves in the barn. But the money we'll be having now. And the clothes. And the horse. All of it. Ezra. Yes? 
in the morning you will go to Cooley's Tavern. Inquire of Joshua. Tell them he has not been home. Tell them I am frantic for his welfare. Yes. Good night, gentlemen. A very good night. Mr. Cooley. Aye, uh, hot grog on a nippy morning, Mr. Ross? I've been in, sent to inquire of Joshua Spooner. And who sent you? The wife of him, Bathsheba. Did she now? And why? Last night he did not return home, and Mrs. Spooner is frantic for his welfare. Not home? But he is not here. Last night he sat right there, my lad, and discussed military strategies with the doctor. And to the best of my knowledge, he went home. Dr. King. Doctor. Doctor. Wake, wake up. Please, doctor. Wake up. It's important. What? What is it? What? what? Where is Joshua Spooner? Where is he? Mr. Cooley says he sat with you last night. Ah, as indeed he did. Uh, then left me. He is not home. What? Mrs. Spooner sent me to fetch him. She's troubled he has not returned. But where else could he have gone if not to his wife? We must find him, Doctor. Yes, yes, yeah, but by all means. Ezra did that very well. With the precise shading of alarm in his voice, the concern a man on an errand for a troubled lady. Everybody was impressed. Mr. Cooley closed his bar. Dr. King appealed to the neighborliness of the other customers, and everybody went looking for Joshua Spooner. Immediately, they called on Mrs. Spooner, whom they found in the greatest apparent distress. Upon an examination of the premises in the neighborhood of the doorstep, they observed the tracks of several persons on snow. And on further search, they found Mr. Spooner, you know where, in the well. So far, only horror, no suspicions. But now, let's pick up Willie and James. They haven't left Brookfield. Stupid of them, isn't it? But then, you've got to examine it from their point of view. Why become soldiers in Washington's army, especially in the winter, and suffer the privations of the military, when they could be warm and rich as a civilian? So imagine it, two tatterdemalion deserters, suddenly elegant, in Mr. Spooner's clothes, which were somewhat tight-fitting. But elegance and tight-fitting are somehow akin. Now there lived in Brookfield a certain wench whose name is lost in history. This much is known about her. She had an eye for tight elegance. This no much is known about her, too, that she went riding with Willie and James on their newly acquired horse. And <laughs> <laughs> help you out. <laughs> oh, James, now, now. Oh, give us a bus, dearie. <laughs> oh, that's a dearie. <laughs> Will? Uh, aye? How is it we are riding Mr. Spooner's horse? Oh, my dearie, uh, 
We don't know, Mr. Uh, Spooner. Aren't these Mr. Spooner's silver buckles? No. Aren't you wearing his clothes? Uh, these are our clothes, dearie. Uh, come, let us ride some more. It brings the pink to your pretty cheeks. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but the cat was out of the bag. Girl told her mother, and her mother, her father, and it so happened that her father was at that moment on his way to look for the murderers of Joshua Spooner. So the father told some neighbors, who located Willie and James, and brought them all together. The two deserters, Ezra and Bathsheba, and this is what happened. <sighs> The jurors for the government and people of Massachusetts Bay in New England, upon their oath, present that William Brooks and James Buchanan and Ezra Ross of the County of Essex, not having God before their eyes, an assault did make upon Joshua Spooner feloniously, willfully, and of their malice aforethought on the first day of March last past. With force and arms, also by striking, beating, and kicking aforesaid Joshua Spooner, so as to inflict several mortal bruises, of which Joshua Spooner died. And that Bathsheba Spooner, widow and late wife of Joshua Spooner, being seduced by the instigation of the devil, did incite, move, abet, counsel, and procure the murder of aforesaid Joshua Spooner. How do you plead? Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty. Bathsheba Spooner, we have testimony from your neighbor, Mary Walker. She has stated that she often saw you walking hand on arm with Ezra Ross in such a manner as does not become a woman who has given herself in marriage to another. I deny it. Thomas Green, nephew of the deceased, has testified that the silver buckles worn by William Brooks belong to his uncle. I deny it. Several have said that often you were heard to wish your husband dead. Several have testified that your husband had said his wife wished him dead. What statement have you, Bathsheba Spooner? I am the wife of the deceased. If what you accuse me of be true, what end could the death of my husband serve? Were there any reasons persuading, hopes inviting, or advantages arising from the death of my husband? Why, by depriving myself of husband, I would subject myself to the burdens of a widow. If I hated my husband, as, as such has been said, why, could I not have separated from him and gone to my father or to my brothers? What foolishness is this to say I have loved Ezra Ross, when one of my station might have any gallant I please? Gentlemen, it is a well-known principle, founded in nature, that the source of wickedness, the incentive of guilt, is the hope of impunity. My hope of impunity, gentlemen, is to convey to you the truth, that if I be guilty, 
I was not of sound mind. To the Sheriff of our County of Essex, greetings. We command you that on the Thursday, the four day of June next, between the hours of 12 and four of the clock in the afternoon, you cause William Brooks, James Buchanan, Ezra Ross, and Bathsheba Spooner to be conveyed from our jail, where they are now in your custody, to the usual place of execution, and there to be hanged by the neck until their bodies be dead. The motive, the crime, and the sentence. Justice was simple, and quickly, too quickly for the four prisoners, the fourth day of June. This is a copy of the Worcester Spy dated that day that I have here. I'd like to read from it. It was a ha about half past two of the clock in the afternoon when the four criminals were brought out of the prison and conducted to the place of execution under a guard of 100 men. The three men went on foot. Mrs. Spooner was carried in a chaise, being then, as she had been for several days, exceedingly feeble. The procession was regular and solemn. Just before they reached the place of execution, one of the most terrific thunderstorms that had incurred within the memory of the oldest inhabitant darkened the heavens. There followed an awful time, the loud shouts of the officers amidst the crowd of 5,000 people, the horses pressing upon those in front, the shrieks of women in the tumult and confusion, the malefactors slowly advancing to the fatal tree, preceded by the dismal coffins, the fierce coruscations of lightning athwart the darkened horizon, quickly followed by loud peals of thunder, conspired together and produced a dreadful scene of horror. It seemed as if the author of nature had added such terrors to the punishment of the criminals as might soften the stoutest heart of the most obdurate and abandoned. At length, the place of execution having been reached, Ross, Buchanan, and Brooks ascended the ladder to the stage. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Ross made an audible prayer. The other two were engaged in silent devotions until they faced the noose. Mrs. Spooner, as she approached the tree, was seen to bow gracefully to many of the spectators with whom she had been acquainted. Then she crept up the ladder on her hands and knees. When the eyes of the malefactors were covered and all was ready, Mrs. Spooner took the sheriff by hand, and she was heard to speak, and for the first time, Bathsheba Spooner accepted the verdict of justice. My dear sir, I am ready. In a little time, I expect to be in her place. And but a few years must elapse when I hope I shall see you and my other friends again.
And that's the way the newspaper recorded it. This has been my report of the crime of Bathsheba Spooner, the first woman tried and executed for murder in the United States. And here again is Thomas Highland. Next week, we'll be with you at this same time. Although the geography and year will change. The year, 1879. My report on the shockingly peaceful passing of Thomas Edwin Bartlett, greengrocer. Thank you. Good night. Bathsheba Spooner. Tonight's crime classic was adapted from the original court reports and newspaper accounts by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The music was composed and conducted by Bernard Herman, and the program was produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Thomas Highland was portrayed on radio by Lou Merrill. Bathsheba Spooner was played by Mary Jane Croft. The cast included Herb Butterfield, Sam Edwards, William Johnston, Georgia Ellis, Tudor Owen, and Van Lyon. This is Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. That's our latest Project Audion episode. Heard in our cast were David Phillips in Virginia, Pat Rosebank in Toronto, Canada, Kyle Bond in Oregon, Scott McKinley in New Jersey, Mick Wheaton in Washington, Pete Fernbach in West Virginia, Tom Conkle in California, Donna Patton in Tennessee, while Larry Groby produced and directed from Texas. We hope you enjoy these classic audio drama recreations, and we hope you'll favorite our podcast streams, our YouTube channel, and our website. Tell a friend, drop us a line, tell us how we're doing and what you might like to hear in a future episode. Meanwhile, until next time, Thanks for listening. That's the half-hour radio drama version. But Andrew, what are some of the things that happened that didn't make it into what we just heard? I have a list. I'll run by a few of them. Um, Bathsheba was not Ruggles' sixth child. She was uh, his uh, 14th child. Uh, Cooley's was not the only tavern in town. Brookville was a main stop between Worcester and Springfield. Brookfield would have had several taverns in town. Uh, Dr. King would not have discussed ways to do away with Burgoyne the night of the murder because Burgoyne was already detained in Boston and Cambridge at that time. So he was no, he was no longer an active participant in the war. Uh, uh, Joshua was not drinking with the British beforehand at that night. He did not see the British at all that day. They turned up at his home. He saw them as they attacked him. That was, the, that was his first encounter. Bathsheba did not offer 500 pounds. At best, she offered half that, and I'm sure it was even half that. Uh, the well was not across the street. The well was in the front yard. Uh, right, she was five months pregnant at her execution. None of that's addressed. Uh, and there has always been the, the, the you know, suggestion that there was uh, mental illness in the family running through generations. She certainly behaved very erratically. I mean, she threatened the future of her family. Uh, she was not stable, certainly. She was at least not stable. We can't make the diagnosis from two centuries later. 
uh, clinically, but something was off in the data address. Well, my, well, yeah. my impression from the, the radio mm -hmm. play is that she's more or less portrayed as um, uh, manipulative. Sure. She's um, trying to get what she wants, which is freedom from her husband, and she's manipulating these young lovers or uh, whoever she has to control to murder her husband. She has a definitive plan. Is that really um, your impression of what actually happened, or what did you think of her character as portrayed in the play? I think she was manipulative. Uh I think the motivations for her being so manipulative should have been addressed. Again, the insanity and the um, potential insanity and the fact that she was pregnant. But yes, yeah, she was a, a master manipulator, I believe. And if someone wants to learn the rest of the story, where can they get the book? About 50 different sites online. Most of my sales have been through Amazon. And I'm okay. uh, doing the audiobook version of it, and that yes. should be ready in just a, a couple of weeks, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it. Thanks for being with us, Andrew Noon, and thanks to you for listening.